Welcome to Let Me Know How It Is, a pop culture podcast about TV, movies, comics, and all things geek. We're spotlighting the career of Golden Age animation legend Tex Avery. I'm Zach Slater. I'm Frank Melman. This is Tommy Smithereens. And I'm Clifton. Okay, Tex Avery, aka Frederick Bean Avery, was born in Taylor, Texas, February 26, 1908. Moved to Los Angeles at the age of 20. Worked at warehouses and loading docks, all while trying to be a print cartoonist, but with no real luck. His cartoonist aspirations took him into animation, though, first for Winkler Studios and then for Walter Lance Productions. There he worked himself up the hierarchy, starting as an inker on Oswald the Lucky Rabbit cartoons and then as an in-betweener and working up the storyboard artist and animator by 1930. So just two years removed from when he actually first moved to L.A. So that's pretty quick. It was at Walter Lance Productions where he was working informally as a quasi-director, but really it was described by historians as some form of assistant director. In 1935, he landed a job at Leon Schlesinger Productions, a.k.a. Warner Brothers Cartoons, after grossly overplaying his experience. Uh, He was one of three directors at Schlesinger and headed a unit of animators. They were grouped together in a shack on the Warner Brothers lot they dubbed Termite Terrace because of frequent termite problems. (laughs) But it was there that the magic started. There, Avery created Daffy Duck and honed the personalities of the already created Porky Pig and Bugs Bunny. After leaving Warner Brothers, he went to MGM Studios in 1942, where he directed numerous cartoons under producer Fred Quimby. And it was here where he had free reign and he created Droopy, Red Hot Riding Hood, The Sex Crazed Wolf, and Screwball Squirrel. Characters that never had the impact, size, or popularity of the cartoons he worked with at Looney Tunes, at Warner Brothers, but MGM is maybe where the bulk of his legacy stands as an artist. He died of lung cancer at the age of 72, and this week would have been his 114th birthday. So, we're here to celebrate one of the all-time greats. Um, This guy's influence was kind of felt everywhere in the industry. So uh, when and how did you guys first encounter his work? I said um, either early in the morning before I went to school, elementary school, and um, coming back home. I saw a lot of Droopy Dog, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. which is always hilarious. I just love the best that he gets (laughs) into against the wolf and that weird, um, what's that, bulldog spike? Whatever he's called. Yeah. 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 But I didn't know for a minute. I didn't know that he did the uh, early um, Warner Brothers cartoons. But I, I would honestly, honestly say that all his stuff that I've seen, I think I've seen every one when he was at MGM, just because you know a signature mm-hmm. style and it just it's just funny from beginning to end. Super violent though, but you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> super a lot of things. But yes, yeah, we'll get into yes. all of that. <laughs> yeah, Frank Clifton, what about you guys? I imagine all of our stories are going to be kind of similar. Probably. Right, right. Because <laughs> none of us grew up in the 40s. <laughs> no, not at all. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, first, I knew his name first from the Warner Brothers stuff. Like, that was the first time I actually recognized his name. But thinking about it, I was like, like Tommy, probably exposed to the, the droopy dog shorts, the wolf, that stuff more so than, than a lot of the early Looney Tunes stuff that he actually worked on. We'd get, mm. I'd see some of that every once in a while. Some of those really early shorts would still make it into the syndicated runs when I was a kid, but not a whole lot of them. But yeah, it's MGM stuff from the later period, which is what, the 50s? A lot. Yeah, 40, 42 to 57, I want to say, was his yeah. MGM period. Yeah. yeah, that stuff was like all over the, yeah. um, through the 80s and stuff. 
So the, all the droopy dog stuff. What about you, Frank? Um, same thing for me. I mean, it was on, I remember watching a lot of his stuff. It was on like, uh, like Tommy was saying, it was on in the morning or it was on in the afternoon. But it was also, um, if I remember correctly, it was on like TBS or one of the early Superstations or WGN as Chicago that had, yeah. you know, they, they throw together 30 minutes with the cartoons, you know, with a bunch of car- with a bunch of mm-hmm. toy commercials in the middle. And then also we would do um, like the school that I went to, private school that I went to when we had um, like, you know, something close to the holidays or something close to like vacation time, like spring break or whatever. That, like the Friday mm-hmm. before we would spend like the afternoon watching um this will you know make me make me sound ancient but we would watch cartoons on um reels basically you know when you have the old mm. school projectors <laughs> right <laughs> whoa yeah i know right <laughs> wow Never me. I, yeah man yeah. jesus man. <laughs> so we would have you know we'd have like the same thing where you'd have you know the the really big reels of something you know some disney you know apple dumpling gang or something along those lines and then we would have a bunch of shorts that were on the much smaller reels that we watched you know, and I had watched a ton of Tex Avery stuff that way. So, mm. I remember um, going to see His Girl Friday in the theaters, and uh, before after the newsreel, I no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the same it's the same thing uh, for me. I, I think I've told this story before. We're like um, Fridays before TGIF, um, TBS, or TBS or TNT. One of those would do like an hour and a half of cartoons, like in a block. And it was kind of just like a hodgepodge of a bunch of different things, because at that point, Warner Brothers had acquired the MGM library of everything like pre like 1986. Right. And so in this and and they had acquired like the Fleischer studio stuff along the way, too. So like in addition to Bugs and Daffy stuff, you would get Droopy and some of Tex Avery's MGM stuff and you would get like Popeyes and, and everything. So like, it was, you know, it was awesome. Awesome. If you're a cartoon lover. And then, um, so that's really where I saw like a lot of it for the first time, but I want to say around cartoon network and they start like when it first launched, they were doing like bugs and Daffy. I remember at like nine o'clock and they would do that for like an hour. And then afterward they would run like tune heads mm. and tune heads was kind of like geared towards course time like the animation nerds a little bit and they would have like kind of themes about things like we're gonna do like world war ii shorts and and you know uh black and white daffy ducks and stuff like that and and so like one of those i'm sure they did something for tex avery that i saw along the way you know um in a weird way for me he's kind of he's he's kind of a geek origin story for me too because he very well may be the first director I've ever known the name of like live action, animation, anything. Right. You know what Is I mean? It, mm, and, I have a question real quick. Um, mm-hmm. I remember the tune heads, uh, uh, show it's, I think you're hundred percent right. I think it's splintered on to giving him his own show. Do you remember that? Zach? Which one, what was it called? Cause he's had, he's had a couple of things. I know. Like he had one show I know that was named in his honor that I don't think he had anything to do with. Yeah, that was right? terrible. That's not it at all. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think there's another one which showed exactly just specific cartoons that were uh him as a director, which prominently uh, you know, said Tex Avery. I, I, my God, I forgot about the Toonhead bit. Mm. No, but I mean for me, like 
you know how like when you turn on like a movie and you're like and you just know like oh this is a tim burton movie like the, yeah. just like the style hits you in the face or like this is mm-hmm. a spielberg movie this feels like you know he may be the first the first realization of something like that to me where like a director's style was apparent to me and tied to a person i'm like oh like i didn't have to see the opening opening credit in the in the title page of this i could just like watch something i know like oh this is a te- this is a tex avery cartoon mm-hmm. right yeah <laughs> you know yeah yeah did you seek his stuff out specifically when you found that or did you just see to try to identify other styles as well he um he was really the first i remember and my brother and i were like big geeks of his okay so like anytime something of his came on we were really excited about his style just because we thought his style was funny um you know and and made us laugh the hardest and then as i got older and became like a bigger animation geek i started being able to like figure that out for the looney tunes directors too right like Mm -hmm. you know i i think i think some people don't pay as much attention to that stuff but there is a a, like a chuck jones style that i can tell and there is a bob clampett style i can tell and i can sort of like like I said, like without seeing the title page, like and kind of like watch them and just sort of know, like, oh, this is a Freeling, yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, the, yeah. Like, you get you get to know style, him by yeah. feel, yeah, yeah, yeah. Could you identify what was a um, Tex Avery bit? Because for me, I I noticed a lot of specific stuff that I didn't know was attributed to him, as far as cartoons mm. go. Like, uh, like for example, breaking the fourth wall. He's the one that started that, which I didn't know. Yeah. He did. I mean, he would either show um, cartoon characters uh, uh, speaking directly to the camera, or whatever, or the whole sign that addressed the absurdity of something. That was him. Um, right. He's responsible yeah. for that one. Um, the one fourth wall bit is a telephone bit in which you have a split screen of two characters that you think are talking to one another. And then yeah. one of them breaks the wall or the line and hands of them over paper or something yeah. before they hang up. They- yeah. They they break over over the split screen and just talk to yes. them directly. Yeah, yes, yeah. I didn't know that was him. I yeah. didn't know that was him at all. My favorite's the hair. Yes, my favorite's yes. the hair bits when when yes. he would he would purposely put in like like a dancing hair at the bottom of the frame and you know and a sidebar thing for like you know these things when they were made showed showed in theaters yes. and I assume that was a common occurrence when you were watching a movie that something got in front of the projector and obstructed yeah. it. So I think I like those really crack me up now thinking about it, that like he would put this little hair in there and make the audience think like, oh, like, <laughs> you know, being it like focus on it. And then he would do some kind of gag with the hair where like a character would pluck it out mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, right. Or the, car- or the or the cartoon character would yell at the production projectionist like, hey, fix it. Like, and yeah. then they would draw like a yeah. hand come in and get it. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but he kept he kept pushing that bit. Like, remember the the, uh, the person standing up in the audience, like yeah, mm-hmm. in the little red walking hood. Yes, yeah, like two yeah. two silhouettes <laughs> walking in front of the screen, sitting down, and the cartoon stops for those people to be able to get to their seats. Yes, <laughs> yeah, which is probably quite effective <laughs> yeah. in a theater. Like when you always did have people walking in front of the projector. Yeah. I think so too. And I think, I think possibly like also like really funny too, when like in the few instances where you would have the cartoon character, like say something to them, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. I saw that, um, that basically like there, there was an animator named Eric Goldberg that was basically like, he credits Tex Avery with like, as the author of what we know as the Warner style. 
Yes. Right. And so maybe some sidebar stuff on here. So when we were, when they were doing animation during this time, like Disney was kind of the, the top of the heap, right? Mm -hmm. As always, as they always are, right. They were doing, um, innovative technical things, right. They were, they were like, their stuff was all lush and beautiful and nice to look at and kind of awe inspiring. And, and, um, I want to say even like they were even the first studio to do color in animation. Yeah. Um, I want to say, and then, so they were like top of the heap and stuff like that. But then you had like the Looney Tunes and the Warner brothers stuff, which wasn't at the same budget and they couldn't really compete with that sort of thing. And, and Tex kind of comes along and is the guy that's like, well, I don't really want to do what Disney's doing. I think this, this, um, medium has strength in other ways. And so he's really responsible for like, like you said, fourth wall gags. Um, picking up the speed of things like he really like started making stuff move a lot faster. And he was really, really, if nothing else, seemed to be completely preoccupied with making people laugh as often and as hard as possible in these things. Yeah, no, I I heard I heard something similar in which um, Walt Disney's uh, studio was trying to make cartoons as real as possible. While Tex mm-hmm. Avery made it as unreal, they reminded you it's just a cartoon. So enjoy the absurdity. Is that what I got from what from what his cartoons was trying to suggest? Yeah, and I and I saw like one of the things I I tripped over was Leonard Malton talking about because he's a, he's a big animation nut too, and he was saying that like you you can there's not a ton of progress really you can see in the Looney Tunes from like 1930 to 1933, and then he's like what really changes is Tex comes along and and kind of brings like a fresh eye to things mm-hmm. and, you know, starts to mix it up. I mean, I think, um, you know, what maybe a lot of people don't realize is that Porky Pig predates Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck. Right. And mm-hmm. Porky was one of the big Warner Brothers stars, animation stars, but he kind of comes along and he adjusts Porky and kind of gives us the version of Porky that we all think about today. Right. Slimmed them yeah. down, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and and he would do. He did this for Bugs. Like Bugs was uh, before he was named Bugs Bunny, that Warner's were were playing around with kind of a zany rabbit character, right? But then in mm-hmm. in Texas hands, he becomes it's really credited in the in the short a wild hair. That's the one that's sort of credited as like this is the first like Bugs Bunny as we know Bugs Bunny mm-hmm. cartoon, and like that's him. Like, you know, and Daffy had appeared sort of before, before he created the Daffy we know too, right? Mm. No, yeah, he, he Daffy mm. and Elmer Fudd, at least the um, right opening stages of El- Elmer Fudd, um, or yeah. what he evolved in. I mean, started off as. But I did notice one thing about it, his Porky is that he had worked on Porky early on twice because we went back and and saw some of these are on HBO Max. Unfortunately, not a whole lot. Mm-hmm. No. Tex Avery stuff, right. but some you can you can still find on on HBO Max currently, and there's a couple early ones. One was like the really early Porky Pig one he did, and and you can still see it's the early like before he really had a hand in it. And then uh, Porky's Duck Hunt. Um, by mm-hmm. that time, it's more the Porky we know, which is the second time he right. worked on him, which is also the first time Mel Blank was the voice of Porky. So mm-hmm. in the earlier stuff, Porky didn't have the stutter, and by that time he does. So you started getting mm-hmm. 
both him and Mel Blanc, like creating the character we know uh, of Porky by that point, by this, this is his second uh, directorial appearance on the character, which is also the first Daffy Duck as we know him was in that one, right. Porky's Duck Hunt. And one of the things I saw too, that was kind of anecdotal about it was like all the hunting stuff and everything yeah, like that, that was, yeah. was him too. Like he's from Texas. So like he mm-hmm. was, you know, he was in the hunting, he was in the fishing, he was an outdoors guy. So like, yeah. like, like, it's just funny. It's funny to think about like what Looney Tunes would be and not imagine hunting in some way, which is like the setup right. for virtually every cartoon I can think of with these characters. Like, you know, up to a certain point. Yeah. Up to a certain year, you know? Yeah. And in that same one, in the Porky's Duck Hunt, like, Elmer Fudd is not in it, but it, like, it very much is like the Elmer Fudd gag started there and then mm-hmm. became Elmer Fudd a few months later when, when yeah. he first appeared, several months after that. But, like, you can still, you can see the the origins of Elmer Fudd even in that one with the hunters and the outfits and everything. Right. And apparently this is another thing I didn't quite know either. I mean, I knew that he had he had sort of like worked on and and helped usher along the Bugs Bunny that we know. But what I didn't know was what's up, Doc, was his line. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. And apparently it was he went he went to he went to high school in Dallas. Mm -hmm. And apparently that's what they said, like (laughs) like down there in Texas, like at the time, like everybody was was you know like 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 some people say like man and bro and dude and stuff like doc was the thing down there like at the time so people would go around saying what's up doc and he you know just threw in a little bit of of you know his upbringing in into it and here we are right mm. <laughs> yeah he left a lot of marks at warner brothers before he left mm. i think he left on um what you call it um the heckling hair um from warner brothers right in which mm. he was in a big argument with um, Schlesinger. Yeah. So uh, did you, I, I tripped over this too. So did you understand this as well? I was having a hard time trying to, f- trying to see exactly like what it was he wanted to do versus what okay. we got. Right. Cause I've seen the well, cartoon a million times. So I'll, I'll let you take it, but. Okay. I, I believe from what I've heard and from what I saw, um, it, the argument was over a third fall. Like they have already mm. fell once and then they fell twice. And then there was supposed to be a third fall. And then mm. um, Schlesinger said no. And Avery says, I'm keeping it. Eventually it doesn't mm. come to fruition. But that's the cartoon that sparks an argument between what he can and cannot do. Right. And and it, and it pushes him to leave. Actually, they say he was suspended, but he mm-hmm. never came back. <laughs> right. So, right. So, so yeah. So Frank, for like you'll remember that this is the cartoon that, that Ace is watching in 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 Return of the Joker. Oh, okay, <laughs> right yeah. after Joker yeah, attacks right. the Batcave and stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is the one. And so if you recall that cartoon, like the end, like when Bugs and the dog fall off the cliff, there's like like an absurdly long falling sequence mm-hmm. <laughs> in this cartoon, right? right yeah, right. And this is the tough part I, that I was trying to figure out because I didn't. In all the stories I heard about this falling out that he had with Schlesinger about this gag, I didn't quite ever get a, a a good idea of like what it was he wanted to do. Right. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But it just it seems like it's such a like like it feels like that a lot of that gag is somehow like in the short. And then like we just don't get the punchline because it's yeah. just like 
they just kind of stop at the end and then like right. bugs looks at the cameras like oh we fooled you yeah. <laughs> yeah right yeah yeah but it's supposed to be a third gag in it and for um avery stuff he'd always have a three-part gag to it you make a joke mm-hmm. within a joke ending on a joke so for him to come to that third point i guess Lessinger thought it was going too far and he just needed to end it so at that point it probably right. turned into a contest between the both of them who has the mm-hmm. you know stronger pull or who's the better um person so to speak right in my understanding too my understanding was is that he liked working for Schlesinger, that like he was more or less left alone, and he he, he liked working with him, and then and until until he didn't, yeah, <laughs> was was basically was was how I understood it is that like you know things were great for a long time, and then suddenly like you're saying like with this one that you know there's there's a fight over like what this gag is. And yeah. it's supposed to be, and then and then that's it, and then he's done with the studio. And well, I think Schlesinger. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say I think Schlesinger had a different argument too, but I think it built up to that. But there's another famous argument that he had on the naming of Bugs Bunny. Mm-hmm. Avery wanted him to be called Jack E. Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> Schlesinger thought that called like Bugs Bunny, but Avery thought it sounded too much like a um, Disney car- Disney character. Like Donald yeah. Duck, mm-hmm. um, right. so the alliteration. Yes, yes. That's mm-hmm. why he wanted to call Jack E. Rabbit. So again, I think it was more along the lines of a, uh, you know, I'll do what I want to do stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess he gave him. He's used to that autonomy, and every time I guess Lessinger pulled that autonomy back, it made him feel a certain way. That's what it sounds mm-hmm. like, at least. Hmm. His um. His Bugs Bunny cartoons were also like a little different. Like, because one of my favorites was even as a kid, I loved mm-hmm. Tortoise Beats Hair. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, like the Cecil Turtle ones. I love the Cecil Turtle cartoons. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, he's he's the most underused Looney Tunes character, in my opinion. I love Cecil. But yeah, it's like yeah, when Cecil I got older <laughs> and I started, I started like paying attention. I'm like, oh, like Tex Avery does the first one. Under under Fred Avery when he was put, when he was putting his actual name on these and the gag I love is like right from the start like Bugs wanders in front of the title card and is like reading yeah <laughs> right yeah. he's yeah. like reading all the names and he's like reading everybody's names wrong right and mm-hmm. he's like and he's like got his mouth full he's eating the carrot he's like supervision Fred Avery like <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. and then he reads the title. Tortoise B. Terror starts freaking out, and that's sort of the catalyst for the whole cartoon. Is is mm-hmm. like nobody beats me. I'm the right. rabbit. Like, right. yeah. Yeah. You know. And what I love about this one is like it's so few times do we see bugs worked up mm-hmm. and angry. And I was watching this with my son, and he's seen a bunch of Bugs Bunny by this point. And he's watching this, and he's like, Bugs Bunny, the bad guy. And right. I was like, "Whoa, what a like yeah, interesting yeah. reaction!" I'm like, "Yeah, he's he's kind of the jerk of this one." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's definitely the aggressor in that one for sure. Mm-hmm. Even though he is getting conned the whole time, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, <laughs> he every is, time. right? Yeah, yeah, he's being played for a fool. But God, so many funny gags. And I feel like when I was a kid and would see that one, like they would always have to trim these because they're about seven minutes each. But when you have to put three mm-hmm. of them. You know, in a block, sometimes you got to cut a little bit. And I always 
Like, mm-hmm. I don't remember this one having that setup from the beginning uh, of the turtle of the, the Cecil turtle, like colluding with all of his relatives from the start. Right. I only remember <laughs> that right. being at like the end reveal. So I don't know if that got cut some of the mm-hmm. times I saw it or not. Cause you do have like different right. cut versions of these things over the year. Yeah. Yes, you do. I just remember that being like more of a surprise ending, or at least that's how I remembered it as a kid. Oh, really? I right. remember at the beginning, like mm-hmm. when he, um, Makes the phone calls. Yeah. So we'll Call fix the him. boys and get the yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know. It's hilarious. Yeah. I love that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that um, one of the things to point out, I think, is that when he was running his unit in Termite Terrace, two of his animators, you know, on his staff were Chuck Jones and Bob Clampett. Mm-hmm. And, and I think. As much as I was saying that, like, those guys have their own style and I can tell their stuff apart. But what what they have in common is I can see Avery's influence in both of their styles. Oh, easily. And yeah, the Cecil Turtle thing is especially apparent in Clampett because Clampett was really the only other guy besides Tex that was that would let Bugs be the fall guy. Yeah. To be right? the jerk. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Also, you've noticed in Chuck Jones when. Bugs puts his fingers out to test to see when um what's out there without him looking. Mm-hmm. Like he do the two finger bit, like, like the carrot, like when exactly. they lay the carrot out as bait and stuff. Yeah. Yes, and he palms it right before it goes in. Yeah, that's a Tex mm-hmm. Avery bit, and he and Jones does it all the time. Right, you can see all that all, all throughout Chuck, Chuck Jones's work. And I think what's kind of i mean there's not a whole lot of like actual video and actual like documentary footage of this stuff but my understanding is is basically like what you think of as the warner brothers cartoons of that era is is like how they were around the office like 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 the mood of the cartoon itself was the office itself but those guys were like you know and they cut away to stuff too and there's like you know, they're all they're all in dresses and they're sitting at their desks, like, <laughs> like drawing stuff out and, yeah. and storyboarding and everything like, you know, and like Clampett's got a mustache while he's wearing like yes. <laughs> this women's dress and stuff. Yeah. Like, did you, see, um, did you ever hear the story of him pranking his um his co-workers? Tell it. Okay. Tell it. <laughs> <laughs> From what I remember. OK, so Tex Avery comes to the office. They know him to be a jokester, but they don't take him too seriously. But one day he comes into the office and then he uh, lights a firecracker, a little tiny mm-hmm. one, like smaller than your finger, and throws it in there and then runs and shuts the door. And so it, and so everybody sees it and looks at it and, it, you know, does the little bang thing and they just shake their head. Next day, Tex comes to the office and there's a huge firecracker he lights up the size of his thigh. Rolls it to the ground, <laughs> does the same thing, and runs out, and then Jeez. holds the door. They're Whoa. banging to get out just because they think it's going to explode, just like the other one. And then it fizzles and turns into nothing. It's a dud. That's what they mm-hmm. had to look yeah. forward to dealing with Tex yeah, Avery a on fake. a regular basis. He, yes, he he took time to make a fake, <laughs> a yeah, fake firecracker. dynamite yeah. stick, yes. firecracker to throw in. Like just just to get just to get a cra- like a laugh at all of them, which again, yeah. I mean, like my god, like I don't know how many times I've seen this gag in a cartoon somewhere. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> and he literally does that to his coworkers without yeah. them even realizing. It. It's crazy. 
Yeah, that was the environment at the time too. Like uh, mm-hmm. he had, he had like lost sight in one of his eyes because of office like pranks. Yeah, did you did you hear that one? No, uh, I read it. Yeah, it's a bit. Yeah, you tell that Zach. Jesus. Yeah, when when he was back at Walter Lance before he was at, he was even at at Warner Brothers, they were you know just goofing around around the office and. They were doing that that thing where like you 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 make a slingshot out of the rubber band and you're shooting paper clips at people. Like mm-hmm. one, he took one to the eye. And they said like yeah. lo- loss of vision in that eye, like instantaneously. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. You hear all the mothers in, yeah. in America say, You'll take your eye out. And he literally does. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. This is Tex Avery. But yeah, so he leaves he leaves Warner Brothers and then goes to MGM. Mm-hmm. Where you know, I and this is like I kind of wonder exactly like like what made him tick a little bit over here because it's like when he goes to to MGM, he seems with the exception of Droopy, who yeah. who is a who really is like the only reoccurring character he uses and has any affinity for. Right, he uses Droopy. I want to. I think seventeen times. I think there's seventeen Droopy cartoons. After the, like aside from that, um. And that's even kind of later in his MGM run, but he's really just kind of doing like whatever comes to mind, like whatever the idea is, whatever the story is, like that's what he's going to do, whatever's going to get the most laughs, you know, and you get things here and there, but like, you know, you get like the wolf and stuff, but like the wolf is Mm -hmm. never named. He's just the wolf, right? Like, like it feels like he wasn't that motivated into like, let me try and like create like the next Bugs Bunny. Let me try and create like the next Daffy Duck. It seems like my my sense is that that wasn't really as important to him as much as it was like, let me just try and make these things as funny as they can possibly be. Right. Uh, right. Well, no. Well, for me, according to my information, what I saw that he um, when he attempted to do that, it didn't work. So what he did mm-hmm. was do the opposite. Instead of making the character the central joke, he focused on the joke. And that's mm. when his other ideas came into play. Like the situation, you mean? Yes. Right. Uh, and and, and it, at that point, it didn't matter who was in the situation. It's all about the joke. And, and then that's where we get uh, the period where he makes all those, the house of tomorrow, mm-hmm. the car of tomorrow, yeah. the farm of tomorrow. Oh, I love those. Yeah, exactly. And which is just narration. Yeah, I love those. And it's, it's not really a person in it. It's just, mm-hmm. it could be anybody. And it's right. just the joke. That it's just settled upon. Well, it's supposed to be so universal, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. As to what's happening now and how to make life easier in the most absurd fashions, you know. I I couldn't quite find a whole lot more on this, but I, but like one of the talking heads in one of the one of the documentaries I was watching on this said something to the effect that like Screwball Squirrel was kind of catching on for a moment. Okay. And he almost kind of resented it. Right. And, and, and was like, it like, cause he, cause he's used twice. There's screwball squirrel. And then there's the screwy truant in like the next year. And then, and then we don't see him again ever. Hmm. Like he's never used again. And, and I'm just, I just find that's like so fascinating that like, Hey, we may have some here. No, no, not going to do it. But yet he pushed. So he used droopy so many times. So yeah, many times. <laughs> well, they, they said Droopy, when he started getting a little robust in his years at MGM, Droopy's a little bit caricature of him. Mm. Just settled, older, bigger. Yeah, he, he tried to make, he tried to give Droopy qualities of himself. That's probably why it plays mm. even more so than um, Screwy Squirrel. Mm. 
But yeah, he was uh, he was at home at MGM. It sounds like it's like Fred Quimby, who is, uh, you know, if you watch any of the original Tom and Jerry's and stuff like that, he's that one credit at the end. that's like that looks like a signature. Right. Right. Like he was yeah, the big yeah. he was the big boss uh, at MGM. He was the big producer. And from the sound of it, he had just like free reign. They just let him do whatever he wanted. On top of the fact that, like, let him do whatever he wanted. MGM had higher budgets than Warner Brothers, not Disney budgets, but higher budgets. Um. And then coupled with that, he also had, like, I think Leonard Maltin says, like, he went in with all of that animation experience from Warner Brothers over here. So now he's like, he's seasoned and knows what he's doing. Whereas when he gets, when he gets hired at Warner Brothers after exaggerating how, like, how much of a director he was, it seems like that, like, they were kind of in some ways hiring him initially because he was kind of a fresh eye. Because Warner Brothers had just lost like two big directors and they needed people. And so like it seems like that they he was granted some experiment period of experimentation there. But like he comes to MGM and like he's seasoned, he knows what he's doing. And so that's why like like he's always he's credited so much with like like the the skill that he had like almost innately was just like timing. He had the timing of the jokes like perfect. Yeah. Right? Which Clifton, you can kind of jump in on this because you know, you you know animation on a technical set i mean but like like that's an important thing to get right in animation because it's like it's drawings it's how it's 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 the art of the individual frame essentially right right yeah and even with the sound too um which he would have been responsible for in directing these shorts like we think of the animation we of course but like sound was also a big part and also a big thing that had to do with timing because like an example is I know in Warner Brothers, and this isn't necessarily him, but it's just something that they always had to think about, was like, if you can picture Coyote falling off a cliff and that high-pitched, like, you know, of him getting further and further in the distance, <laughs> and then it cuts out, and then there's a pause, and then you hear, like, the slam into the ground. Mm. Like, they meticulously crafted the exact perfect, like, how many frames the audio drops out before you hear the splat. And and that's just like how important timing is to to the overall animation of everything. Like the gags all have to be at work in in perfect timing in conjunction with each other. Said beautifully, man. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like that, that's kind of, um, you know, he's known for a lot of things, but he's you know, that's one of the things that gets tossed out a lot is that like he was he was he was just a master at at the timing of things. Um, you know, and again, like even, even at MGM, he had, he had some influence on just about everybody. I think, uh, you know, he's, he's not credited at whatsoever with Tom and Jerry that that's completely, um, uh, Hanna-Barbera's thing. Mm. Right. But what he did, his influence was, if you watch those early, early, early Tom and Jerry's, the, there's a lot more like fur, in the drawing, apparently, like their elbows are furry, they're outright, and there's a lot more like line work to 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 give the illusion that there's actual like fur and hair on them. And Tex comes along and is like, he's like, you guys are spending like way too much time like drawing all these lines, streamline it, hmm. right? So, not designing it, but like, but his his two cents on that basically gives us the Tom and Jerry designs we know, right? Mm, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And he was doing a lot of cat gags at MGM that 
I don't I don't know the timing, but was his cat before Tom and Jerry or around the same time? Like the the Tex Avery cat that doesn't also have that mm. also doesn't have a name. It's just called Tex Avery cat. Yeah, right. I, I want to say it's around the same time. It might be around the same time. Yeah. What I found to be interesting was he was the one that introduced of mice and men. That duo <laughs> that George and Lenny or George and Junior, whatever you want to call it. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he introduced that dynamic between characters where one's big and one's small, even though it's a rip from Of Mice and Men. <laughs> the George and Lenny dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. No, I'm playing off of that. The other th- the, the thing I never knew also that I found researching this was I didn't know he did voices also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He does that. Right? He like, does, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. That one, you know, that one laugh that he always does. Yeah. The, the, they they the, say the tell is. Typically, like like dumb dog characters was yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. And anybody yeah. with like a, a really obnoxious laugh, yes. like that was <laughs> that was him doing yeah. it. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. Which I think of like like Tom, Tommy. We were talking about this before before we were doing the show. We were like bad luck bad uh, bad luck Blackie. Yeah, yeah. The one right where the black cat like like is the dog is beating up on the little, on the little cat. And so the black cat is like, mm-hmm. Hey, let me help you out here. Like, here's my card. Yes. Here's my just blow on this whistle. <laughs> and anytime you blow on this whistle, when the dog's giving you grief, I'll cross his path. And then bad luck will happen to him. And like, you know, an anvil drops on him. Yeah. Right. Like, but that do- like Tommy and I were cracking up about this a couple of nights ago. Like that dog's laughed. The- yeah. Yeah, all, all those yeah. boisterous laughs that you do, but and and another one is his the snively laugh. Oh no, not snively, mm. muttly. What the? It's like laughing, mm. but it's like sinister. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't even make it. It's it's it's, right. it's 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 so difficult. But yeah, he's always the <laughs> almost precursor to uh, Yogi Bear, damn near. Mm. Right. Yeah, and it's funny what I didn't realize too is um the wolf that talks like really slow. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I'm looking for Billy, 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 Billy. That one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, with like the drawl. Yes, yeah. that's Sight the man. Pre- yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. That's the precursor to um Blueberry Hound. <laughs> Same uh-huh. voice actor. Oh, Huckleberry Dawes Hound. Butler. Yeah, yeah, Huckleberry Hound. I'm fine. So I said Blueberry yeah. Hound. Huckleberry Hound. <laughs> oh, by Dawes Butler. Dawes Butler pulls it initially from the wolf, but he takes it with him uh, to Hanna Barbera. He did a lot of also at MGM, um, like prison cartoons, which were funny too. Really? Like, like one of my favorites, <laughs> one of my favorites is the first bad man, right? This was not cool. on HBO max, which, which we'll get into like why, why some of his stuff is so hard to track down these days. <laughs> yes, but it is. the first bad man was like. It's like it takes place like in present day Texas for the start of it. And then and the narrator's telling the story about like this is the first jail in Texas. Let's talk. Let's take you back. Yeah. So you go back. uh, You go back a million years into like the cave (laughs) to like cavemen. And it's this like this this bandit of a guy who's like riding on a dinosaur and robbing banks and stuff like that in the Stone Age. And they and they they corner him and then they and then they like they hack away at, at the mountain that he's hiding out in and then that just becomes the jail that he's in and then the punchline I'll, I'll spoil it is the narrator you know 
turns out to be the guy that's still in the jail and he's like, when are y'all letting me out of here? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so there was that one. There was another one called Cellbound that was that was all about like this this dog's plan to like escape from from jail. Um and he like digs himself a hole and then pops out and then he pops and then when he pops out, he pops up like through through the warden's television. And then he has to pretend yes. to be like act like the warden just watching TV. <laughs> and so he's yeah. doing like he all these every, gags. Yeah. And every time he changes the channel, he's mm-hmm. gotta do something else. Yeah. Yeah, he has to play every role, no matter what what comes on, he has to do a different TV screen. But dang, I didn't notice he had, had that many prison cartoons. Cause the one mm-hmm. I thought he had a lot of was uh, a women dancing in scanty clad outfits. Like uh, he'd have mm-hmm. there was like five Red Riding Hoods bits. One of mm-hmm. them it's even made famous by the mask, in which he's looking at a gorgeous woman and his eyes come out of his head, mm-hmm. or his body mm-hmm. separates, or whatever the case may be. But I found out that they always mimicked the woman. After um, Lana Turner, or um, mm-hmm. what's her name? Something, something. The Shawshank. Oh, Rita Hayworth. Ah. Mm-hmm. Yes, those are the templates for those. <laughs> I read that that because of Red, a lot of times they would have trouble keeping sketches and or cells. Okay. Because people were so into her as a character, quote unquote. Wow. Okay. That the people that really? worked I didn't in, know that. That people that worked in in <laughs> for the company would be like, you know, we'd have all these sack of sketches of what we we're gonna, you know, put her in an outfit or put her in a, in the in the in a strip or a, the short, and then those sales or those uh, <laughs> those sketches would show up like the they go someone they come back on the weekend and be like they'd be gone. Yo, <laughs> yeah, wow, so someone I didn't was, know that. That's someone was nutty. swiping the red. <laughs> wow yeah he did that's that's he did a lot with like sexual innuendo and everything and 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 apparently one of the things i talked about too was he was very much aware of of like his stuff was going to be shown on army bases yes yes you know and like during the war and he and he knew like like you know the soldiers and the gis like wanted that kind of stuff so he wanted to give him like like stuff to get excited about which you know, and he knew those jokes would land even more there, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, yeah, when you're talking about steal- people stealing the frames, I was like, man, there's people even more thirsty than Tex Avery himself. He was because, like, the House of Tomorrow just has live action footage of a pinup model, yeah, and then they oh, go yeah. back yeah, to yeah, it yeah. again <laughs> at the end yeah, just yeah. to show yeah. it for yeah. those yeah. For, yep. for the fellas, yep. the businessmen in the yep. audience. They say. For- Yes, for the yep. quote unquote tired businessmen. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. Is, is <laughs> a bit. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Sign the management. We're gonna show you the we're gonna show you the woman again. Signed management. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Those were some of my favorites though. I I love House of Tomorrow. I loved Cars of Tomorrow. Um like th- there's a gag in Cars of Tomorrow, which, you know, eight year old Zach. The, like the, the gag is like like parking trouble well not anymore and then the guy like gets out and just folds the car up into like into like a business card size and puts it in his pocket and i don't know why just like eight-year-olds that, that tickled me to no end the house of tomorrow and, and car of tomorrow i remember when we again when we watched them on like before holidays those were two of the ones that were always in heavy rotation like we mm-hmm. always watched those and they were always they always worked like no one ever was like oh we've seen this a million times no everyone was happy to see those yeah, and it makes me wonder if that's where the Jetsons bit comes from. It has to because yeah, it has to because of folding up the car to the yeah. No, no, you're, I think you're 100 percent correct. 
That is definitely a Jetsons bit at the end of it where he falls up the car and heads it because it's literally the car of tomorrow. Right. Exactly. Yeah. What I didn't realize is the narration bit. That's mm-hmm. what um, Walt Disney mimicked from to do the goofy bits. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. But yeah. So yeah, I mean, we had to do some searching for some for a lot of these. Um, and Clifton, like you're saying, like HBO Max has a few, mm-hmm. not a lot, a few. Um, you know, and um, you know, for me, I went through a period where I was I was like really really big into collecting Golden Age animation, just stuff on DVD. I wasn't buying like like reels or anything. I mean, those 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 guys are out there. Yeah, uh, believe me, those guys are out there. I've seen like. <laughs> like like that stuff but you know i just wanted like uh, you know i was buying a lot of old disney shorts and a lot of the warner brothers stuff and everything and i was always like on the hunt i'm like when i i was i was in disbelief that there was no tex avery dvd set ever yet right they only did it they only did a collection of, of droopies and that was it and it, it like it boggled my mind and i remember checking amazon one day and i saw i saw a set and i like you know, I, I almost had like like a, a wolf reaction where my eyes bugged out <laughs> of my head, you know, and like I got so excited and I checked and I found it like it's only in it was it was only available in Europe. Mm. And then that's when I tripped over also like, oh, like he's a big deal, like in France mm-hmm. yeah, and stuff like, like you Europe, know, yeah. like you. Yeah. And I just like like the injustice of it all. I was like, oh, my God, like, <laughs> how is this not not available here? And then I, and then, you know, they made my day. He's like the Jerry Lewis of animation over there. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. yes. 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 But yeah. So, but you know, unfortunately what, what we have to get into because you know, it's, it's the elephant in the room. And one of the reasons you can't find a lot of this stuff is a lot of jokes about minorities at the mm-hmm. time. Oh, right. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot yes. in a lot of these things. And, and was interesting to me, um, I was a little nervous about like how to do this episode in general. So I was kind of like feeling out to like people around me just to kind of get a sense of like what they knew about golden age of animation. I didn't know like how many sidebars we had to go into to like explain stuff and everything. And one guy I was talking to, he was like, yeah, I remember like my parents gave me some, some, um, videotapes of cartoons and they had like some Tex Avery stuff in there and thinking back to it, like I'm blown away at some of the stuff that they, were like putting on that tape for kids, like geared towards kids. And I was like, yeah, I was like, you want to know something crazy? Cause I'm, I'm a little bit older than him. I was like, you want to know it's nuts. I saw that stuff on television. Mm-hmm. Like that stuff was on TV, like in the morning at the time, like when we were growing up and now it's like, you know, Clifton, like you were saying, like sometimes you, you, you get stuff cut out. And so, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, what's, what's the one, um, is it magic maestro? Yeah. So do I have the, oh, do I have yeah. the name right? Like, yeah, so I remember watching <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, I definitely saw oh, that yeah. on TV. I saw that on TV too. I remember like, I saw that on TV a lot. I remember. And, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and there's, there's a joke about, you know, Asians in there and yeah. there's a blackface joke in there too, which mm-hmm. I remember. And then initially like that didn't get cut from TV initially. It just like those gags just got cut out of there. Right. I remember, right. They would air it without those gags. Right. And now it's like, now that stuff just not on anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and so there's whatever, I guess, half a dozen of his shorts on HBO Max at the moment. But like even like I had to go to YouTube on some of these and even even on YouTube, I couldn't find like full cartoons of things. I found like a lot of like the first three minutes of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And then, you know, because I, I thought surely I'm like, surely somebody's going to have this stuff up. But like, no, like, you know, no. not full stuff. Yeah, I mean, and that's not just him either. It was prevalent in animation at the time. Like, mm. I mean, there was just a lot of minstrelism in Golden Age animation. Um, mm-hmm. All of mm-hmm. it in all the studios, yeah. all of them. So it's just an unfortunate, again, product of the time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, and, and, and the longer this stuff, the, the more as time goes by, I think more and more of these are becoming like harder to find. Like we were saying, like a lot of these that we saw all on television mm. and not on HBO now, I think. And, you know, so who knows, who knows where, where, you know, that was also one of the things that made this episode kind of difficult because it's like, I don't know. It, it's hard to get a sense now of how much in the know everybody is out there about, about like these things. Cause like, I, I like the bugs bunny stuff we watched is not on TV anymore. It's new stuff, mm-hmm. right? It's the Looney Tunes show. It's the new stuff that they're making. It's space jam. It, right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it is a def- it's, it's a big experience or a different experience too. Cause I remember seeing these things as kids and, and not thinking much of them, or at least I was just like, well, I don't get that one, but like this other stuff's funny. And then I watch the same ones mm-hmm. now and, and yeah, I'm like, I cringe it at stuff yeah. that I remember as a kid and just be like, Ugh, like, uh, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that wasn't appropriate even then. Right. Right. <laughs> well, that's like, I mean, it's not so much the, the, you know, it's not so much the, the racist aspect of it, but like rewatching, um, like you were saying, Cliff, when we watching like the the House of Tomorrow, there's the the bit with the the woman in it, mm-hmm. but there's also like a good. I think every other or uh, the first four bits are all, you know, you know, your mother-in-law is terrible. Right. Yeah. Every every joke's <laughs> yeah, like every other joke's about jokes. killing the mother-in-law. Yeah, killing your mother-in-law. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. So that was another one. I was like, ah. I mean, you know, again, growing up as a kid, I'm like, wow, mother-in-laws must be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> having a mother-in-law must be awful you know as much as as they want to to kill this mother-in-law and then re-watching it recently i was just like oh my god there's so many but yeah yeah we're like the set like all everybody has all the different entrances here's the entrance for mom for dad right you know and then and the the, the one for mother-in-law is boarded up so she can't get in yeah Yeah, i think it's like 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 landmines or tripwires or something and then they had the the bathroom of tomorrow and it's like you know uh it's like uh mom you know mom and dad and then junior and juniors is like castor oil which was like you know like a good 40s joke right and then the mother-in-law had a had a had a medicine cabinet full of poison so you know again mother-in-law's not mine are awful i guess right so yeah no not not mine either (laughs) mine's great but yeah yeah yeah, i had the same thing of like of like, man, mother-in-laws must be awful. Like, yeah. what's the deal? <laughs> but again, the thing of you know the 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 thing about the the young woman is just like, oh, and then like and then the come like you said, him being you know being uh, thirsty for lack of a better term mm-hmm. to come back to it at the end was still like, wow, that's that's wouldn't fly now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not now. They're definitely little time capsules, all of them mm-hmm. for sure. I just saw a point that I came across as he was directed. He has directed one film that has been selected for the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. And that was Magical Maestro in 1952. Mm. 
yeah, it's 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 gonna be here forever. The one we were talking about, the one that had the one that yeah. had the two gags cut out. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that was one of the ones that that we saw. Like again, another another one of those that we saw like all the time. <laughs> yeah, you know, on all the uh, time. You're right. Yeah, yeah. No, that was. All, I mean, oh yeah, absolutely. I you know scenes from that. I you know again. Like Clifton was saying, it's one of those things where you, I guess you don't, you know, at the time it's like, oh, ew. and now we'll go back and look at it. It's like, oh God, that's again, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, right? Not that it's an excuse, but it was a different time. But at the same time, it, like Tommy said, it's not going anywhere as a result. No, so. yeah, exactly. No, it's not. It's not an excuse. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I I had the same reaction as you, Clifton, watching. Like I did, I you know, I didn't know what I didn't know then. Like I didn't, you know, I didn't know that these jokes were inappropriate. I was just like, okay. Like, right. like that's weird yeah. you know and, and a lot of them you don't even get i remember that's mm-hmm. the thing like you know like frank like you were saying like the bathroom bit in the house of tomorrow and the kids got like castor oil like yeah that's i'm sure that killed in the 40s right right, <laughs> right? you know what i mean like yeah, yeah. You know, killed in the 70s because i remember my mom gave me that crap that thing's yeah. the nasty thing you can imagine <laughs> straight yeah. bitter oh my gosh <laughs> tommy when you're researching this did you find like did you happen to trip over any of the awards that he won in his day? Um, yeah, he only won two, but uh, unfortunately, okay. I saw everything he lost as far as Academy Awards is concerned. <laughs> he lost a lot. Mm-hmm. He lost. A so lot. he was nominated often. Yes, his whole career is nominated. Uh, okay, uh, even when he went to MGM, and even when he left MGM, still, um, he mm-hmm. was always nominated. But he always lost out to uh, uh, his competition, wherever it may be. Tom and Jerry won a bunch of them, so we're talking Oscars. So, so yeah, in, in the best animated short category, which is still around today, you know, yeah. Pixar wins it a lot nowadays for for what you see when you're going to see, you know, Incredibles two, and <laughs> whatever the show right before a lot of those win, but um, yeah, so he so he was nominated quite often, but you, but he lost more times than he won, obviously, and I I do know I do know just off of my animation trivia that a lot of times these Oscars typically went to to Disney and they went to Tom and Jerry a lot, which was down the hall from him. So uh but so which two did he win? Because I actually don't know these two off the top of my head. He won the Windsor oh, excuse me, he won the Annie Award, which is the Windsor McKay Award in nineteen seventy four. And then before that he wore he won a Hugo Award. Oh, no, excuse me. He was nominated for a Hugo Award for a wild hair. He didn't win it though. He only won one okay. award, and that was the Annie Award, but it doesn't say what he won it for. Interesting. So he never won an Oscar? Never. He was nominated seven times. Oh, wow. Okay. Never won once. Yeah, he was nominated seven times for an Oscar. Interesting. In one of the cases, he's lost to Mr. Magoo. <laughs> right. Okay, so yeah, so I see. So so the wild hair, or a wild hair, the mm-hmm. first Bugs Money. So that one was nominated, but he lost. He lost to the Milky Way. Which yes. is a, a a cartoon about um, kittens that uh, are are off in space in the Milky Way. I've seen mm-hmm. it; it's cute. Uh, <laughs> and then he was he was nominated for Blitzwolf in 1942, but lost to De Fuhrer's Face, which is uh, <laughs> infamous as yes. the uh, as as it was called. It was it was working titled uh, Donald in Nazi Land. So this is, you know, uh, wartime, wartime uh, shorts that were made. 
um it was basically Donald Duck fighting fighting Hitler and the Nazis that won that year. Um, yeah, interesting. So yeah, so he never actually won one. Mm-mm. Just nominated. Wow. Okay. It's a privilege. It's an honor to be nominated. I guess. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, and the unfortunate thing too about about his career is is MGM is kind of the highlight of it. I mean, you know, he he leaves in '57. And he goes back to Walter Lance, does, I think, four or five more shorts there uh, on considerably lower budget than when he was used to working for uh, at MGM. And then, um, you know, he's still working in the industry, but he's not, you know, he's he's, you know, there's a shift to TV and Hanna-Barbera starts doing a lot of stuff on TV. And I think he's kind of helping out on staff on some of these things, but he's not really like running any any show or leading any series or anything like that so right. you know mgm mgm is is his high point for sure yeah i think i read he transitioned a lot to commercial work mm-hmm. after that as well just like uh directing commercials working on commercials and ads yeah that's right that's true yeah because that's right i i saw that i saw that that um that bit Tommy was talking about, like this was his last Bugs Bunny cartoon until he picked up and then until he directed it again in commercials or something. I guess he did mm-hmm. something with Bugs Bunny and commercials down the line. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So, uh, we'll start getting into. Uh, we'll name our favorite Tex Avery cartoon right after this. But first, if you like the show, you could check out all of our episodes on YouTube and let me know how it is. dot com. Just please, however you find us, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review. And finally, if you want to suggest a topic, send it our way in the comments or on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is our show's initials, L-M-K-H-I-I. All right. You guys have a favorite? Favorite we haven't talked about? Not favorite we haven't talked about. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) My favorite one one is Tortoise Beats Air. I just always loved that gag. Um, Mm. That was one of my favorite Bugs Bunny cartoons growing up because I liked... I like to see Bugs Bunny get the 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 bad end of things sometimes because he often didn't. Um, it was mm-hmm. nice to see as a change of pace. And, and yeah, I just like a lot of the gags in that one. And I love Cecil the Turtle. Yep. <laughs> Me too. Awesome one. Very cool, too, that, that you went with the with the Looney Tunes one, which, you mm-hmm. know, like I said, like he's not not as really known as much. Weirdly, um, I think he doesn't get quite of the credit. A lot of that stuff that that he should, um, because a lot more historians are gonna name something from MGM, which I probably will. But right. there's a lot. Oh. He is there's a there's a lot of favorites I have. But yeah. Frank, what about you? Uh, for me, it's uh, looking at some just going through old stuff. I would say uh, Bad Luck Blackie is probably my favorite. Okay, I love the dog. <laughs> I love the fact that it gets you know right. it's it's easily a you know I love the idea of you know there's a cat that has a, as a as a hustle. As you know, <laughs> just playing up its natural yeah. belly as as a uh, you know as a black cat, and then I like the you know the the twi- the, the turnabout, and then the, the 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 fix at the end is you know is is great. You know, mm. I still remember from, from vividly from childhood the ending bit where it's like the stuff falling out of the sky. I'm like, there's a ship coming, and there's the ship that drops out of the sky <laughs> at the very end. That I you know I remember that you know to this day. So, but no, I love that one. I think that was awesome. Yeah, that's a great one. Tell me, what's yours? Oh, I'm ashamed to admit it. Okay. Uh, I I think I've seen Magical Maestro like 7,000 times. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I can tell you where they edited the parts out. <laughs> I almost uh, I, I almost memorized how to say the whole Pacific Islander bit that they do. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, mm-hmm. it, it would make me cry because it was just it, unorthodox funny. Um, but I like the 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 musical of it. I like was it Figaro? He's trying to sing yeah. the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is crazy. I think that's um, Tex Avery's voice too for the for the dog the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I love that cartoon, man. Everything taken out or kept in, I still like that cartoon. I'm I'm really surprised that well nobody mentioned this during the show or as their favorite is King Size Canary. That's the one that's the one I'm really like, wow, like that didn't come up once because that's kind of I think that's the one he's really like most known for Um, is that one. Maybe I'm wrong. I, <laughs> I th- but, you know, give a quick synopsis of that one since we didn't talk about it. That's the one where, you know, your, your, your basic setup, the cat wants to eat the bird, right? Uh, he's, uh, he's really starving or no, no, cat, cat goes to eat a mouse, finds the mouse, right? really hungry and, and and the mouse goes like hey listen up cat i've seen this picture and if you trust me right you don't want to eat me right because <laughs> i save your life by the end of this picture right and he's got like this <laughs> thick like like brooklyn accent he goes okay but like i'm still hungry and he points him in into in the direction of the bird cage and then they open the bird cage but it's a scrawny little canary that like that's like well i've been sick right yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so he finds like plant grow, right? That you would help <laughs> help like get your plants like big and robust. And he gives it to the canary, and the canary gets huge. It gets so big that he starts beating up on the cat. So then the cat takes more of the plant grow, and the cat gets big. And then mm-hmm. <laughs> right, and then it's just back and forth. And then there's a dog, and everybody's getting like by the end of it, it's like they're standing on like the planet, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, yeah. I love King Size Canary, but um, I want to give a special amount of love. So I'm going to say my favorite is Symphony and Slang from 1951. And it's just sort of it's basically like one joke mm-hmm. done for for seven minutes. And the idea is like this guy's like at, at Heaven's Gate and starts talking and the guy doesn't understand him. Mm-hmm. Right. Because he's like he's like a Hepcat guy. He's like, hey, what's going on? Oh, right? yeah. So, th- so they don't understand bit, yeah. him. Yeah. And then they're like and they bring him over to another guy and he starts saying he's like, hey, like, what? what's your name? How did you get here? What's your story? He goes like, well, I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth. Right. Right. And it's just he's just saying sayings. His mm-hmm. entire story is sayings that you're seeing from the guy's thought of what he thinks he means because he's taking everything he's saying literal so you cut to like there's a baby with a giant spoon in his mouth and he's like well and then i grew up overnight and then you see like yep this baby grow <laughs> into a person yeah, right. overnight yeah, yeah, right yeah. yeah and it's just all of those it's just like a million of those gags for seven minutes <laughs> like put together it is so awesome i love symphony and slang yeah so, i remember that one yeah that's the one where uh yeah. the reoccurring bit is cat got your tongue <laughs> yep exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah oh that's an awesome one so yeah i think um you know I, you know i've heard historians say that like you know clearly above and beyond the director that has had the most influence of that era is walt disney right like walt disney's clearly like number one but then everybody else is like but you gotta say like tex avery is would be the next big one 
because you know he's he's essentially like he was the guy that made cartoons funny and fast and played with the idea that like squash and stretch right like you could you could you could uh um you know do whatever you wanted in these things which is cool and you know so i think that's a cool note to to end on so uh as always we'll post links and examples to everything we talk about on let me know how it is.com just please remember to like us and follow us on social media and we will see you guys next week have a good one